All right, it's the Foghorn. That means it's time for the Cabot Ships podcast, where we try and cut through the fog and the murk and shine a bit of light on naval and maritime issues of the day. I'm Chris Cavus. And I'm Chris Cervello. Coming up, public discussion about the potential cause of the January crash of an F-35C Joint Strike Fighter aboard the carrier USS Carl Vinson revved up with the unauthorized posting of official video of their dramatic and fiery ramp strike. We'll talk it over with U.S. Naval Institute's Ward Carroll, a carrier aviation veteran who gives us some insight into what goes on when a high-performance jet lands aboard an aircraft carrier. But first, a quick roundup of naval news around the world. While the slow but seemingly inexorable buildup of Russian naval forces in the Black Sea reached a new level when six amphibious ships from the Northern and Baltic fleets arrived at Russia's naval base in Sevastopol in the Crimea, bolstering the Russian amphibious units already stationed there. The three large missile cruisers of the Slava class are now all in the theater. The Marshal Ustinov coming from the Northern fleet, the Varyag from the Pacific fleet. The three could join with their sister ship Moskva, of the Black Sea Fleet, presenting a formidable group armed with large SSN-12 sandbox missiles, called the Vulcan Missile by Russia, originally designed to destroy U.S. Navy aircraft carriers. The Moskva reportedly left uh, Sevastopol on February 10th and looks like it could pass outbound through the Bosphorus to the Mediterranean and join with her sisters to threaten any carriers getting within the 500-kilometer range of their missiles. The cruisers appear to be moving in position to essentially triangulate the Western Mediterranean where NATO carriers are operating. The Marshal Ustinov in the Central Med, Med the uh, Varyag in the Southeast near Syria, and the Moskva possibly in the Aegean. In addition to the missile cruisers, Russia is thought to have three Kilo-class submarines armed with caliber cruise missiles on patrol in the Mediterranean and another three operational in the Black Sea with one of the subs in the Med possibly moving to the Black Sea. There are no there. I'm sorry. There are also significant land-based Russian anti-ship cruise missiles along the Black Sea coast. Russia on February 10th issued notifications that large areas of the Black Sea and Sea of Azov next to Crimea would be closed to navigation from February 13th to 19th for live fire exercises. But a day later, after protests from Ukraine and NATO countries, the restrictions were lifted. It is not clear how much or if those live fire missile and artillery exercises will take place. The U.S. carrier Harry S. Truman continued to operate in the Mediterranean as part of a NATO task group that included Italy's carrier Cavour and the French Charles de Gaulle. The ships are thought to be operating in waters south of Greece. And in January, the U.S. Navy quietly deployed four Atlantic Fleet destroyers to the Sixth Fleet in Europe, to bolster the four ships already stationed there and more ships operating with the Harry S. Truman Strike Group. USNI News reported the destroyers Mitcher, Gonzalez, the Sullivans, and Donald Cook left their home ports in Norfolk and Mayport as independent deployers to the Sixth Fleet. And while U.S. Navy officials avoided linking the deployments to the Russian-Ukraine crisis, the result is the U.S. Navy has the largest number of ships now in the Mediterranean since 2018. The number of Russian ships operating the region is the highest since 2016. Elsewhere, in the Western Pacific, the U.S. Navy staged a major exercise called Noble Fusion that brought together the carrier Abraham Lincoln, assault ships Essex and America, sea-based ship Miguel Keith, 
Marines of the 11th and 31st Marine Expeditionary Units and Japanese Naval Marine and Air Forces for exercises in the Luzon Strait, south of Taiwan, and the Miyoko Strait, south of Okinawa. The maneuvers ended on February 7th. And on February 5th, the new littoral combat ship Savannah was commissioned in ceremonies at Brunswick, Georgia. The ship is the 14th LCS of the Independence Class and will be based at San Diego. And that's a look at just some of the naval developments this week. All right, moving to our discussion segment. Uh, we are very lucky to be joined by U.S. Naval Institute Proceedings podcast host, Ward Carroll. Uh, we've asked Ward to come on to help us discuss the recent F-35C crash on the flight deck of the USS Carl Vincent. Uh, just a short bio uh, for those that uh, maybe don't know Ward as well as we do. Ward was an F-14 Tomcat Rio for 15 years after graduating from the U.S. Naval Academy. Um, he was Naval Institute Press Author of the Year in 2001 for his novel, Punk's War, and is also the author of Punk's Fight and Punk's Wing, all three of which have been re-released this year. So if you haven't had a chance to read those, be sure to check them out. Um, he is also the host of the popular Ward Carroll YouTube channel, where he and two of his shipmates this week um, spent a significant amount of time uh, discussing this mishap. So if, uh, you know, after listening to this, you want to dig a little bit deeper, be sure to check out Ward's uh, YouTube channel. Um, Ward, uh, welcome to the pod. Thanks for joining us. Hey, good to see Chris and Chris, my old friends. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. So let's start with just sort of at the, you know, maybe the 20,000 foot level and then kind of work our way down. Um, as somebody that's been around aviation for as long as you have both in and out of uniform, why has this mishap garnered such attention inside and outside of the naval community? Well, first off, because it involves the F-35 airplane, which has been the poster child for acquisition, you know, sloth and behind budget or over budget and behind schedule kind of stuff. Um, it's the promise of a $1.2 trillion platform. It's program managers mansplaining that you're not just buying an airplane, you're buying a system of systems and how the Intel fusion of each airplane is rivaled to an AWACS and what this is going to do for the COCOMs and so forth and so on. And, you know, we've heard these stories uh, most acutely, you know, Chris in his, in his role as a reporter and, and member of the trade press has heard these stories for literally 20 years. Um, I sat down with the program manager, the previous program manager for the Proceedings podcast and asked very specific questions with respect to flight ops. And more or less, I'm paraphrasing um, this program manager who was uh, a, a naval aviator, actually an A6BN um, and, and in charge of the uh, PEOJSF, uh, which shows you how the acquisitions community works. It, it, you know, it doesn't leverage necessarily the program manager's experience in the platform, but his understanding of how procurement works and his ability to work with the hierarchy above him. In fact, on that very day, um, the, uh, the uh, appointed official, and this is when the Turkey S-400 thing was going on. And, and so he was on speed dial for her, Ellen Lord, and he got yanked out of our interview to rage under I-95 and, 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 uh, or 395 and go over to the Pentagon to stand tall. So, you know, it's a different world, this thing procurement. And what we hope is after all the investment, all the time 
that it yields a, a capability. And I'll also let the listener know I have some experience in that arena as a government spokesman, ironically. I, I worked for the V22 program. In fact, I worked with Chris Cervello when he was on the national news desk um, as uh, the spokesman, the PAO for PMA 275. That airplane was the poster child for the way to not do acquisition and the way to do acquisition, both kind of what JSF has been since IOC for the V-22. So um, I, I heard that an F-35 had had a ramp strike. And I was like, that's impossible. I was told you should strike that term from the lexicon of naval aviation because you couldn't have ramp strikes anymore, right? Because of these systems like precision landing mode and fly-by-wire and heads-up display in the visor and so forth and so on, right? So I, I guess the, the reason that I've been, I don't know, public about trying to contextualize this and I've taken some heat for these live streams that I've, I've done with my panel, um, but not unlike the skills that I learned as the V-22 spokesman, I think there's an audience out there that needs to know the big picture around the leaked videos, for one thing, and images, right? So um, my initial sense was, uh, this can't be true. Right, and and there was some bad gouge between uh, ramp strike or uh, wire had parted, and the wire parting would explain seven personnel hurt on the flight deck. Uh, so, you know, I'm just trying not to prognosticate. I am on Twitter, and so sometimes maybe um, in my zeal to be funny and and first with the news on Twitter, I, I say things cryptically, and um, and and so I actually tweeted something that after I was called from some active duty officers about, hey, don't get ahead of the situation, people I trust, um, I, because I was like, oh, I'm wrong. It's not a ram strike. It is a wire parted. And then it turns out, no, it was a ram strike. So I tweeted, the first word is always wrong, except when it's right. <laughs> and that pissed off a whole bunch of these anonymous, you know, Zoom waltz eyebrows and these kinds of uh, Twitter handle active duty naval officers. And they, they remain... Uh, seriously tweaked about particularly my forward-leaning willingness to speak about this, even in the most uh, sort of empirical and, and abstract terms, right? So I was, I guess the bottom line answer to your question was, I was amazed that an F-35 could have a ramp strike. And my question was, how could that happen? So, let, so let's talk about, Chris, before you, let, let's talk about why, why do you say that? For those that aren't as familiar with the F-35, when you say um, you thought this was a, um, you, you know, you, you hit on a couple, but when you say that you were amazed that it, it, it could have a ram strike, why were you amazed by that? Because of the technology that the F-35 has in terms of that phase of carrier operations. So let me just Quickly, I'll do a compare and contrast with the F-14, which, as you teased out in the beginning, I entreat the listeners to check out the last, last live stream because it's me, Hoser Miller, who's CAG paddles LSO when I was a Cat 2 in VF-143, saved my life in the North Atlantic working manual lens. And then Rowdy Yates. Rowdy Yates was the chief test pilot for the X-32, a Tomcat guy, but also 
uh, test pilot school grad who became the chief test pilot for the X-32, which we know was the rival to the X-35 and ultimately lost. A very ugly airplane. Um, and, uh, you know, so Rowdy knows a thing or two about the F-35 as a function of being the ch chief test pilot for the competitor to the F-35, basically. So Rowdy, I asked Rowdy, hey, Tomcat dude, it's 1985, you're in an F-14A, explain the workload coming into the carrier pattern in the daytime and on a beautiful day. And so basically says, okay, 350 knots, 800 feet, I break a mile upwind, wings are aft, tail hook is already down, right? So, cause we came into the break with the wings manually all the way back at 68, cause it looked cooler. Also the airplane would slow down faster with the wings aft, you know, it was really the technical reason we did it, not just to look cool, but it did look cool, right? And so boom, it, Break four G's, 280 knots, flip the coolie hat up to up. And so now the wings go to auto, they start to work forward. Gear coming at 250 knots, flaps coming at 225 knots. DLC engaged, that got the spoilers into this mode where you know you could uh, change your glide path without adjusting the nose. Now you're going through the landing checks. Harness locked, gear down, flaps down, DLC engaged, fuel is this, trim is set. Check your harness, Roger. So a very, now, air crew, a very air crew intensive process. Well, it's a pilot intensive process. Pilot intensive uh, he, he would say the, the landing checklist, it was not challenge and response. Takeoff checklist is challenge and response. Landing checklist was not. But he'd just say it out loud and I'd listen. And if I thought he missed something, I'd go, what about trim? You know, or whatever. But it wasn't challenge and response. He'd just say it out loud. Right. And so I could see, you know, obviously I'd know that the gear was down and I'd see the wings are forward and the flaps are down and DLC was engaged. Uh, so I'm just monitoring airspeed. So 180, boom. And he's manually flying the airplane, both power and, you know, altitude with the stick and rudders. You know, we're talking about pre-digital flight control Tomcat, where every line of correction would send the nose a weird way. And so you'd have to work rudders while you work stick and throttle. So very manual, very workload intense, you know, and we see in like the Kara Holt green mishap and other things that happened around the boat that the Tomcat was notoriously hard to land at the ship. Okay, now let's fast forward to 2022. Um, and so F-35C comes in the break, even assuming that, because I, I, I'm not gonna get ahead of the process right, with right. respect to what we're hearing was the situation with this particular pass, right? So. So nominally coming into the break, 350 knots, 800 feet, brakes a model upwind. All the, that pilot has to do is drop the gear and the hook, right? Everything else happens automatically. The computer says, oh, we're going to land. So it sets the trim. It engages DLC. It does everything else that a Tomcat pilot would have to manually do. So I embrace the future. I love the technology. You tell me pilot workload is re reduced. I'm like, shit hot, right? I'm not going to go, oh, back in the old days, right? I'm not, you know, a World War II dude. It's like, well, when we had props, you had to deal with torque and you guys have it so easy these days, right? So, okay. The last part of this is this thing called magic carpet, precision landing mode. So once you get to the 180, all the pilot has to do, and remember the J or the F-35 has a side stick. He bumps what on the ground would be used for nose wheel steering and now he's engaged the first phase of precision landing mode. So you just have to drive it around. All he's responsible for is basically hitting your altitude numbers and flying a good turn. The, the airplane has figured out power. And then when you get on the ball, you push that button again, 
and now you're in what's called path. So the first part is called rate, and then in the end game, you're in what's called path. So the pilot's sole responsibility, and this is a facile explanation, is put this dashed line in your HUD that's in your visor, right? Not on the front windscreen, but in your visor on the centered ball and just drive that to touchdown. You don't know what your airspeed is. You don't touch the throttles. And then when you hit the deck, go to mill power. That's it. So I, I think that's amazing. And boarding rates, you know, the, the, the notion of an okay pass now is like, yeah, of course. You know, the flight deck is, is very worn at the three wire. Like, you know, when we're playing golf on the driving range, if everybody hits from the same spot, there's a divot that's like really deep. Well, that's what the target wire, you know, they, they are losing the non-skid there. Now, back in our day, you'd have these marks of, of infamy, like feet from the round down. Somebody would have just barely missed the ramp and they have a hook strike and that would be there for the entire cruise. Well, those don't exist anymore because this airplane is so good on the ball. Okay, so... And, and they're touting this, you know, the, the F-35 program, the test pilots, the chief test pilot down at Pax River, the fleet pilots are like, hey, Gramps, you wouldn't even believe it. Yeah, you know, even a Rio could fly it, ha, 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 right? And I've flown the simulator. It's amazing, right? I'm like, point and go. It's great. And so they're talking about we can reduce training track time. A JO doesn't need this many bounces. In fact, we don't even have to go to the boat in before you get your wings now. You know, you, you can just get your wings and then you'll go to the boat in the rag and it's a no brainer. And so how much money are we saving here, everybody? This is fantastic, this technology. So I'm loving it. I'm like, I accept this without judgment. And then you hear, oh, except we had a ramp strike. So we're like, okay, Houston, we have a problem. So the question is pilot error or machinery failure, right? And I'm not going to get ahead of the, either the Jagman, the FENAB or the aircraft mishap port. So it'll be one of those two things, maybe a combination of those two things, but I'm thinking it's one. Um, and, and so we'll find out. So in the event it is that. So before you go on, right, just right. now explain what all those three things are, because a lot of people listening are not familiar with all these acronyms. Okay. You mean the AMB, Jagman, and... Yes. What, what are you talking about? So there? Aircraft Mishap Board is the first thing. So uh, most likely... And because the F-35 squadron does not have a sister squadron back in my early days, the Tomcat squadron would have a sister squadron. So if you had a mishap, the inevitably the executive officer of the sister squadron would head the AMB. Okay, so an AMB has got representatives from various constituencies, including a flight surgeon, and they will set about investigating this mishap. They'll interview the pilot, they'll talk about the maintenance, they'll talk about and then um, a jag man is, is looking for what? Well, punitive criminal things. A, a jag man can, can find actually UCMJ level uh, malice. A, a, and so there, that's a separate investigation that's being conducted uh, by somebody who's senior to, at least senior to uh, the mishap pilot. Um, and, and so that's probably not a CO. That's probably a lieutenant commander. It's probably a department head from another squadron. And the third um, and, and last third is the here. Field Naval Aviators Evaluation Board. Uh, so that is to determine the professional standing of the pilot in the wake of this mishap. That will characterize whether or not he should fly the F-35 again. And if not, should he keep his wings 
but and move on to be a different warfare specialty or maybe even a different type of airplane. So that that one is aimed at the pilot. Um, so these things these things are happening in parallel, even as we are having this conversation. Right. So the timeline. So, so Ward, uh, uh, well, I'm sorry, the timeline, go ahead, finish that one. Yeah, so the AMB, let's just focus on the AMB. Well, no, the Jagman no, no, has 30 days. The Jagman has 30 days, and that'll be on the streets in 30 days. That's the first thing we will see. So January 24th, so we're talking about a couple of weeks here. Yes, and so that, that, will, that will be the first thing that is publicly available, and that can also contain some explanation of what happened, right? Uh, the AMB, the first draft, the first report is also the clock is ticking they oh they have 30 days but it doesn't it's not publicly released until it's reviewed by the entire chain of command up to and including the cno so that'll take six months and that will not be you can't FOIA for it until it's what we call closed out and that will include very granular stuff about the pilot's diet for the previous week uh did he work out you know all of the things that uh, can explain the backstory to how the airplane was in that position, so, his thought process, so forth. So, and, the, and then the last thing is the FENAB um, is is not publicly available ever, right? And and we'll know um, that uh, we'll know just by sort of you know word of mouth what what that results in in terms of did this so, person ever so, fly again? So one of the things that you look at, I'm <clears throat> sorry, in in these situations. Um, official dumb is always very tight lipped about things. Um, a lot of reasons, a lot of legitimate reasons, and frankly, just a lot of process reasons and a lot of, we just don't want to talk about it reasons. Um, but everybody else still talks about it and that's always going to be the case. So you have this, in, you, know, you have this situation where we have to wait for the investigation to conclude. Well, nobody else has to wait for the investigation to conclude to talk about it. The Bonham Richard fire took a ridiculously long time, a criminally long time for an actual report to come out. Everybody saw the fire. It burned for four and a half days in the middle of a major city. And the Navy took forever, over a year, to put a report out about it. That's, there's no excuse for that, none. Um, in this case, this is a different situation, obviously. Um, it, fortunately, it wasn't a fatality. Obviously, you see the video. Um, everybody's pretty darn lucky that there wasn't a, a a, a fatality. But the, the situation is here for all this new technology. This is the first squadron, VFA 147, uh, to deploy with this new aircraft on a carrier. This is the 35C, 35 Charlie variant of the JSF. The Air Force flies the, has been flying the A variant. Uh, the, the Marines and, and a lot of foreign customers fly the um, short takeoff or, land, or landing, um, vertical landing B Bravo version. Um, this is the Charlie version. It's a, it's, it's, it's a lot of differences from the other two. It's got much bigger wings. Obviously, there's a tail hook. Uh, it has to do actual carrier landings as opposed to the other aircraft. So there's a, not, a lot new here. And the, the whole heads-up display in the helmet technology is <clears throat> unique in carrier aircraft to the 35s, both the Bs and the Cs. And the uh, so... There's a lot of questions about what's going on here. What was interesting is that, I mean, like like a lot of people, you know, you heard at first we're hearing it's a ramp strike. A ramp strike. I haven't heard that for a long time, a long time, as well you know. Um, and how could that happen when this video when this this video does make it out? 
<clears throat> where where it picks up, which is for which is obviously is on is just moments before the aircraft hits the deck, a second or so. Um, he's already well below the glide slope. I mean, he's in trouble. He's in trouble. You can hear the the uh, the um, landing signal officer screaming, "Wave off! Wave off! Wave off!" Um, this didn't just happen. Um, he didn't. He didn't. He apparently, didn't just drop down. And the other video, the fantail video, doesn't. You you don't see any drastic movement of this aircraft dropping all of a sudden, like he lost power. Um, so there's a there's obviously some kind of really bad problem here, as you just eloquently explained. Um, what is going on? But what we didn't see, in the absence of people saying anything, you also look very closely at what we're not seeing. What we're not seeing is red striping or a safety stand down. If there's any kind of problem of any kind at all that we have any suspicion about, we would have some sort of logic tells you safety stand down, even if it's just to remind everybody to do all the checks. So if there was a helmet malfunction, which is which is possible if the if the if the uh, PLM, the magic carpet system didn't work, whatever. Um, if there's some suspicion, people stop, pause, say, check everything, just even that, even a 48-hour, 72-hour check things. This carrier and this group have been flying really hard during this deployment, and they did not stop flying that aircraft. Uh, the 35 Charlie is also deployed with uh, Marine Squadron 34 VMFA 314 aboard the Lincoln. They're flying pretty hard. There was no apparent pause in any kind of flight operations which leads you to think that, I mean, and obviously there was a problem. There was a pretty darn picturesque ramp strike. So why don't we see any, uh, I mean, if, if there's no safety stand down, can one assume that at the moment there's no indication of a particular problem with the system? That would tell me anyway that, okay, my, my question is, do you know what the problem is? Maybe, maybe the pilot had a, had, had, a, had a medical issue. Maybe there was an issue with the guy that they don't want to talk about. Um, but it would tell me that they know something, not that the investigation is ongoing. Both of these squadrons continued to fly hundreds of hours in this aircraft and do, and do hundreds of traps, seriously, literally. Um, after this accident, they st they're still flying. So what's going on there? What do you what do you make of that? And I, this this isn't a speculation part, but now I'm talking about what we're not seeing. Yeah. So I, I let me uh, at once say that I, I I won't guess at your supposition. Um, I will say that if you and and we do this on the last two live streams that that I've done on on my channel, um, look at the evidence. So. Um, first off, when you say the guy was already in trouble, that's not obvious. So when you pick up particularly the, uh, the plat tape uh, leaked video, which was somebody's desktop computer in what looks to be an MC space, uh, but, uh, you know, because of the microphone that's in front of the, the computer screen, but the guy's basically on and on, right? And what you, if you go do a split screen, which we did on the channel, with the cell phone video. Very, very nicely, very well done, by the way. Okay, well, thank you. And, and so this is why I had Hoser there, right? Hoser, CAG paddles, you right. know, guy who knows what he's looking at, right? So, and Rowdy also, uh, of the three of us, was the most forward-leaning with respect to 
you know, uh, sort of anticipating what this might be about. And he just says, um, you know, high, fast start. I don't hear any noise. And then I hear a lot in close. And you meld that with the power calls. And that's where Hoser says, and he was politically or he was polite. And then he said a nanosecond too late with those power calls. Right. So the rest is what the process is going to yield. And I agree. And I think the bottom Richard is a great example of, I get it. There's a review process and we don't know whether this was intentionally set by a sailor or boxes in the hangar bay, you know, conflagrated or whatever. Right. But it took you a year. And as stewards of public dollars and the trust of the American people, that's profane. And we know what you're doing here, and this is your world more than mine. Not just you're profane. just embarrassed they're, by the answer. There's right? a, they've they've lost credibility here. So I mean, you, yeah, you get a certain period of time where you got to look at the facts, and there's nobody who doesn't understand that. But at some point, you're going to have to start owing people something. So, like you say, yeah. the Jagman is 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 due in 30 days, February 24th. Um, pretty soon after that, we're we're going to start saying, where is it? And when we start here, if we start hearing excuses about, oh, somebody else has to review it, or we're still looking at this, we'll give them a little bit of time for that. But yeah, by, yeah. By, so let, by, the, by the second week of March, it's like, okay, th this, is, this is now a problem. This is a systemic problem that you can't come forth with this. This is an immense investment in this aircraft. People got to know what's going on, and lives literally are at stake. So let, let's, bounce, let's bounce off of that. Ward, with your aviator hat still on, put your communicator hat on top of that aviator hat. What does the release of the aircraft in the water, the fantail uh, footage, and then the plat tape, what does that do to that, you know, the pressurization of that process from, from your perspective? It intensifies it. Now, whatever you thought your DINFOS trained timeline was is completely shot to hell. You know, and now questions, you're like, okay, let's do RFQs, you know, request for you know, response to query, RTQ. Um, and, and like absent this leaked footage, you don't have any queries. Absent this leaked footage, the public ex accepts sort of, you know, unconditionally your explanation for what happened. Oh, right? no, so they're, they're, I'm sorry, just real quick. They're, they're oh, definitely media queries. In, no, I, I get it. But I'm saying that if I say, uh, yes, we had a mishap at the ship and uh, the investigation is ongoing. Then I, I sit on my heels and go, okay, now a guy like you, Chris, with this footage, you just came to a, a conclusion that is educated and quite possibly the, the root cause. Not, not a conclusion, not, not a conclusion, uh, just, just an observation. Well, it kind of sounded like a conclusion, but okay, no, no. we can quibble about the semantics of diction here. But because um, it, it, it it kind of wrapped up to be pilot error in terms of the way I my takeaways from the way you framed it, right? No red stripes, you know, everybody else is flying. I so didn't say pilot so error. I didn't say pilot error. What I said was, if there there may maybe it's a guess. It's a be based on what we're not hearing and what we are seeing. Right. That right. maybe if okay, if we're not if there's no red stripe, if there's no stand down then do you guys have some idea what was going on here? And right. if you happen to know that this particular pilot was having a medical situation. So think, let's not play in the anti-vaxxer world because that's not it. Um, and, and so, okay. You know, I feel like no, that guy in Reservoir Dogs. We're still, you know, the, we're the, still, the, the we're still. And he's like, so you're telling me 
that this guy serves hard time and suddenly he's going to go against daddy? So I'm saying you're telling me this pilot okay, flies no, no, a complete case getting, one pattern, you're, you're getting, you're and getting, you're getting only on off. the ball he has a a, a medical. Situation. No, but you're make, I mean, but that kind of makes my point, right? I mean that that is that pressurization, right? So there's always the hey, I wonder, I heard this or I heard that or you, you know, uh, uh, in this world that we live in. But the release of that video, the unauthorized release of that video, I mean, turns that way up. And right. So, okay. So let me just finish this yeah. thing to, to frame what Chris is saying, because Chris is onto something. Because of the release of the video, we know the airplane was flying a normal case one pattern. So what that means, absent some weird thing that happened in the last eight seconds of that pass, the pilot was fine and the airplane was fine. Okay. Otherwise you do a straight in. If you have discomfort because of a cardio thing or your vision isn't right or your helmet is you got raster scan issues or latency in your visor or you're not trusting you're trying to engage plm it's not working you're due to a straight in okay so what i also can tell by this video and absent that video this air the, the ship just came out of a turn and it was a starboard turn and it had only gone about 100 yards uh, and, and so you know, again, you can surmise that this airplane was the first one down in, on this recovery. Okay. So all this, I wouldn't know absent the video. All this, all I would do is take Chinfo, Kirby, whomever, what they said and go, okay, I'll, I'll wait for the thing, you know, and I wouldn't know ramp strike and cross deck pennant. I'd be like, oh, don't guess about that. You know, and, and and certainly the Bubba's are saying what they're saying, and I'm still part of a network, you know, with people in Lemoore, because people in Lemoore know everything, right? I mean, that O Club is on fire with the facts and who it was and what was the circumstance and what the ready room's doing and the informal things about what the corrective actions are beneath the, you know, overarching action of a red stripe, which they haven't done. And I agree with your uh, you know, your, your synopsis entirely there, uh, Chris Cavus. So um, yeah, what they're not telling us is where the truth is going to live. And that's where I said during the live stream, because that's how we frame it. Everything you just said, like, here's the building blocks of, you know, what we know based on what we're seeing here. And then we did it as sort of a primer on what is PLM. And uh, then we're like this big gaping blank as to then why is what the AMB is going to figure out. So we're not going to we're not going to guess. Right. Let, let me ask one, one last question, because we're, we're running up against time um, again. Aviator and communicator hat on. Is this the new norm in terms of mishaps or, or is this the norm? I won't even say new norm because we've seen stuff leak before. Is this the norm that now the the operational world and the communication world is going to have to deal with when it comes to um, these types of incidents at sea, where we had kind of been immune to that because of the connectivity and, and because of the, the distance? Um, is this a one-off or is this something that we're going to have to deal with moving forward? Uh, my answer is yes, it's the new, new norm. And we, we speak to this. I read the spokesman's statement where he basically did throw his hands up and say, because everybody's like, what about River City, which is where you shut down connectivity? He goes, yeah, we did that for a little while. And then we lifted that. I'm like, you lifted that, you know, and, and then obviously they're showing the mishap on the closed circuit television repeatedly, right? Because that sailor phone of the desktop was not the original mishap. It was a replay of the mishap, right? So it's almost like, get your phones ready. 
you know, here we go, three, two, one, boom, right? So I'm thinking, why would you reshow this on the closed circuit TV? You know, that's another question that I guess will come out. But this guy said, hey, man, if we take everybody's phones away, morale is going to tube. This is a new era. This is a digital age. Gen Z has phones. And if you, if you want to mess with their mojo, then you, you know, we're already having leadership challenges as it is. We're not going to do that. So I, as the old guy, the, you know, not a digital native, but I do play one on YouTube, um, you know, I'm like, wow, uh, okay. And then Hoser pointed out that, you know, we have had examples of stuff getting out before, like the A3 mishap on Nimitz back in 1987, right? That plat tape was copied and sent home uh, in the snail mail and got out way ahead of the process. And so when the Prowler hit the S3 on Enterprise, they shut it down because of the previous leak. Now that was a, you know, Gen 1 VHS leak circa, you know, the mid 90s or, or the 80s rather. And now it's the speed of light, right? This thing was on Reddit like minutes after whatever, you know, and I was mansplaining to my audience, hey, it's going to take a while. Don't wonder where the plat tape is. It's going to be a year, right? You know, because <laughs> of FOIAs and everything else. And then no lie, I get it from one of my contacts, you know, former aviator. Um, he's like, hey, check this out. Um, and this was on Saturday. I'm like, holy smokes. Right. And, yeah. and I'm, I sat on it in good faith. I sat on it. Now I'm being painted as Mr. Leaker guy. But, um, you know, I, I and then when it was on the whole world, I'm like, OK, I, I have a community that's formed around my YouTube channel. It's a pretty big one. They want to have a conversation here. Here's the tape. Have at it. And when people say female pilot or they say, you know, vax, I'm like, no and no. That's all I've done. And the rest is wait for the AMB. So nobody's asked me to do this. The air boss, Chinfo, didn't ask me to do this. But I will say in my own cocky way that I provided a service in, in so doing. Well, well I, it, it was great. I, I, yeah. um, I, I have to second uh, Chris Cervello's uh, recommendation. It really, really, really was a very nicely done video. Thank you. Well, Coming from you, I seriously appreciate that. Not, not only did you provide a service on your channel with the uh, almost an hour-long in-depth uh, review, but we greatly appreciate you coming on uh, for our audience today and kind of helping the broader naval uh, community that doesn't know that much about the F-35 per se or doesn't know how this process works. Thanks for kind of working them through it. Hopefully you'll come back as we learn more, more information. Uh, but ladies and gentlemen, Ward Carroll of uh, U.S. Naval Institute Proceedings podcast and of the Ward Carroll YouTube channel. Ward, thanks again. Thank you, guys. Pleasure to be here. Now hear this. Now hear this. Well, you know what that means. It's time for Squawk Box. And Chris Cavus has some thoughts on aircraft mishaps and public confidence. As you've just heard, there are any number of questions and issues arising from the F-35 Charlie crash on January 24th. This isn't just any airplane. The F-35C is the carrier variant of the much larger Joint Strike Fighter program, which includes the basic F-35A land-based version and the F-35B short takeoff or vertical landing aircraft, planes which are serving not just with the United States Armed Forces, but also with a number of foreign nations. Strike Fighter Squadron 147, the unit that the plane that crashed was part of, was making the first ever operational deployment of the 35C. A second squadron already is deployed aboard the carrier Abraham Lincoln. 
Both carriers have carried out intensive operations in the Western Pacific. The 35C is being integrated with carrier air wings operating F-18 Super Hornet strike fighters, and those aircraft are to form the core of U.S. Navy strike aircraft for the next quarter century or more. The U.S. and many of its allies have made significant investments in the F-35. It is imperative that if there's a problem, the cause needs to be quickly found and made public. But confidence is not high in the Navy's ability to essentially come clean when something bad happens. Following the unprecedented fire and loss of the USS Bonham Richard in July 2020, it took the Navy more than 15 months to release a detailed and scathing account of the multitude of mistakes that led to the loss of a nearly $2 billion assault ship. 15 months. By that time, the ship had been decommissioned, its burnt-out carcass towed to a scrapyard in Texas. Many of those responsible had moved on to other positions. Most of the individual punishments have yet to be made public. There was no excuse for taking that long to tell the public what happened to their ship. Hopefully, in the aftermath of the dramatic ramp strike on the Carl Vinson, where fortunately there were no fatalities, but clearly there could have been, a professional assessment of what went wrong will soon be forthcoming. Well said, Chris. And that does it for this week. A quick programming note, both Chris and I will be at the AFCA USNI West 2022 conference in San Diego this week. If you are there and you see us, please stop and say hi. And as always, our thanks go out to Vaga Moradian and the Defense and Aerospace Group for their support. Be sure to follow us at Cavus Ships on Twitter. And remember, this podcast is available on iTunes, Google Play, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, and Spotify. I'm Chris Cervello. And I'm Chris Cavis. Thanks for listening, and bye-bye.